This is the Data Privacy Detective, and today we're going to take a tour of the digital advertising ecosystem and what it all means to businesses and to us as consumers for our privacy matters. And we see the surface of this ecosystem whenever we're on the web, and sometimes when we're not. We get pop-up ads that seem somehow mysteriously tailored just to us. They seem to know a lot about us. Some involve things we've bought before, but others are from companies we've never heard of, and we're not sure if they really are existing and whether they're really giving us something we might want to buy. We might wonder how we're targeted to get these things. We browse uh, some sites to get information, and a lot of times it's hard to read what we're looking for without sorting through a forest of ads and pop-ups. It's kind of like weeds in a garden. So what's going on here? And what does it all mean for us and for our privacy? Well, our tour guide today is Dan Freckling. Dan is the CEO of Boltif. Boltif is a B2B business that uses secret shopper technology to maximize privacy and compliance. Dan, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, Joe, great to be here. I have enjoyed uh, the privacy detective before and data privacy detective. I liked your episode in October with Hugo Nagashima on do not sell my personal information. I thought that was a great session. Oh, well, that's something we all need to learn more about. Well, let me ask you, what prompted you to get into this part of the technology business? Yeah, so it was a combination of, of sort of commercial and personal circumstances. I I was running a business in the compliance space already that was around e-commerce compliance and had sold it to Verisk and was operating that within inside um, the business uh, within inside the corporate entity of Verisk and I had a very personal thing happen to me which was my wife was diagnosed with cancer and I'd never had cancer in the family before so I started doing an enormous amount of online research about what to do and what the prognosis is and what happens next. And through that, I started to notice that I was being uh, profiled and targeted by these shady cancer treatments and clickbaity ads. And these ads were pervasive. They were all over the platforms, even when I try to get away, right? And catch some sports or news or even social media, they would follow me. And, and the ads nothing were nothing so- you wanted to, to get from anybody like that. Certainly, yeah. Bad time, wrong time, wrong place. And the ads were so durable, even after my wife passed away, they were still coming at me. So well, that... Dan, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss and, and thank you for sharing that. Yeah. This is this is a, a blatant example, a very graphic example of the, of the bad, the dark side of advertising. There's certainly a positive side to us. Imagine our country without advertising. But but help us understand it. Describe for us, please, the digital advertising ecosystem. Sure. Yeah. Like point number one on the advertising ecosystem is that there is a dark side to it, but there's also very much a bright side to it. And I think as you're as you're intending there, ads, especially programmatic targeted ads that's run by algorithms, they fund the open web. So 80% plus of the news that we see is paid for by advertising. Not unlike if you think about a newspaper or magazine, you see all these ads, you might ignore them. They don't jump out at you, but okay, advertising is part of the web. Right, right. And the the second concept is that digital objects enable commerce on the open web. So there's content from the ads, and then there's commerce from the digital objects. And when I say digital objects, I mean tags and scripts and pixels that are invisible to people when they're visiting pages, 
but are important to fuel what's going on, the, the, the analytics, the frequency capping and other things. That's important to make sure that people are, <clears throat> are, are being sh- given the goods uh, that they're looking for, or even that their account is remembered, or even that they're in the right language when they visit a website. So but this is so fundamentally product. different from, say, print advertising. Because mm-hmm. if you yell at your newspaper, the publisher isn't hearing you. <laughs> you know, yeah. you can throw it yeah. away, and, and so be. But the web's different, isn't it? It's always watching and listening. It certainly is, and watching and listening is a good uh, is a good point because both online ads and on page digital objects may sell and share data, which in 2023 now violates your rights in several states, and that's a key difference this year. And certainly if you're in Europe, uh, big issues there and other countries that have more, let's just say, robust uh, advertising and uh, privacy laws than the U.S. has so far. Well, tell us some, please, of the privacy issues that we encounter from this this ecosystem that we are inevitably part of if we're going to be on the Internet and who isn't these days. And Mm -hmm. let's break it down into businesses and then consumers. So what are the privacy issues you deal with for the businesses that are clients uh, of your company? It all begins with consent. That is the act of an individual agreeing to have their data shared or not shared. And the problem that I think is little understood is that consent errors occur 25 to 50% of the time because of the vendor handoffs. There's technology defects between dozens and dozens of vendors that need to handle that consent. And we find a very high error rate, meaning you can opt out, you can reject cookies. There's a number of things you can do to say, don't share my data. And that signal gets lost. And once it gets lost in the data, flows freer than you want it to? Is that the problem? It can, it, it, it certainly can. And we measure that also. We see how data is shared non-compliantly and, and non-consensually. And this is also where the regulators are getting very involved. Um, California, Colorado, uh, Virginia, Utah, Connecticut are the five states this year that have enacted laws. But even in the past few weeks, we've seen the FTC in kind of a newly resurgent form taking action against sharing and selling data either without asking or when asked, when they do ask and then behave contrary to what the consumer has um, responded. And regulators can go after both. The second case, when you declare that you're not going to do something and then you do it, tends to be worse because even in states without privacy laws, outside those five states, most states have deceptive practices laws, which can get companies in hot water. And of course, that's one of the fundamentals of the FTC. It's there to prevent deceptive advertising, interstate commerce. And and what you're really telling us because of the 25 to 50% thing is these can be businesses that really do intend not to share your data if you don't want them to. But nonetheless, because of the way technology works, they, they themselves can become a victim uh, and, and be accused of allowing something to happen that even the business did not intend. Yes, vendors are the weak link and businesses most of the time aren't able to see where the data errors occur. Now, on the consumer side, uh, can't imagine a lot of people arguing that we shouldn't have a right to tell people, don't share my data. It's another question if we can figure out how to do it and how to let you know, hundreds of uh, potential businesses know, please don't do that. But what are the, what are the privacy issues you see for consumers uh, from, from your business? Well, the privacy issues for consumers go beyond just the inadvertent mistakes that we just spoke about because there is deliberate inaction also. So as a consumer, 
one, you should be thinking before you consent to having your data sold or shared, who are you interacting with? And if you can't see the third parties they're interacting with beyond you, then you may want to choose to opt out. But it goes beyond that because you can't just rely on consent as a consumer. I think it's a really good idea to eliminate things that you're not using. Think of the apps that are sitting on your phone that you may have downloaded a while ago that might be skimming data from you, um, even though you haven't used them in years. The browser extensions that you may have uh, added to your browser, try to stay away from those uh, and try to eliminate those if they're not essential. And then there's other things like just being sure you update your software on a regular basis because those are the best ways to, to make sure that you stay current. There's more advanced ideas beyond that. But I think some of the fundamentals are, are quest- really to question how many digital apps and, and software you really are using. And if you're not using it, I would say it's time to get rid of it. This is the concept of business, minim- uh, da- excuse me, data privacy minimization. Why, why hold something if you don't need it? It only creates a risk, whether you're a person or a business. Yeah, yeah, very true, um, even more true for businesses. And I'm, I'm glad to see data minimization taking hold. As it used to be there were databases that were append only and data was never deleted. That was a, touted as a feature. Well, that can get you in uh, illegal circumstances these days. Right, exactly. Well, you're a B2B business, basically. And, and describe what your company does, what Bolded does to address these issues for your clients. Well, yeah, because we were noticing that vendors were inadvertently dropping consent and businesses' liabilities uh, liabilities were increasing as a result, we invented and commercialized what we call secret shopper technology for compliance around privacy. So our software detects and corrects consent and data sharing problems before they become liabilities. It also validates compliance with the data sharing laws and the five states I mentioned and the FTC rules. And it works particularly well to audit the flow down requirements to, to data partners. We developed it under the guidance of the co-author of California's two landmark privacy laws, CCPA and CPRA. And uh, we're also used by auditors and regulators for uh, their audits and investigations. Now, would this help a business prevent the terrible experience you had uh, you, that you've talked about with your with your wife earlier of the consumers getting really bad ads from malactors? Yeah, I certainly hope so. <laughs> That's part of our mission. Well, advertising is not going to go away. I've been to some countries where advertising is illegal, basically. No billboards, no anything else. And it's a very different kind of world, hard for companies to market their products, and it results in a lower kind of living in many ways. And yet, who wants to be bombarded with ads or cell phones from advertisers that somehow get our cell phone from something through the internet and so on? What do you see as the future of the advertising-based business models that many of the great technology companies use? After all, we don't pay Google right now to the search, except that we pay for it by sharing our data with Google. Mm. And it's a, it's a balance, isn't it? Yeah, but what do you see as the future of, of advertising-based uh, business models? Yeah, well, I, I personally believe that advertising-based business models cannot perish, or the, the open web is going to be far different than what we experience today. There's others in the privacy space that I think um, are more believers in all advertising is bad. And I can understand that point of view. But for me, the termination of advertising leads us to a negative future where we're back to where the internet started because 
let's also separate. When we talk about advertising, there's the sharing of data, and then there's the walled garden approach to advertising. We began this whole internet journey decades ago with AOL and CompuServe and the walled gardens of the late 90s because they could form a viable model by locking out competition. If we see that data regulations disproportionately burden businesses and independent content providers are unable to accept advertising and shut their doors, we'll be finding ourselves in a boomerang of sorts back to the walled garden world that we started with. The, the names will be different. We've talked about a few of them in this session, but the big tech titans will become the walled gardens of the future. And I and that's that's worrisome to me. I, I don't believe we'll end up that way, but it's a risk if we push too far down the regulatory path. Now, I've seen some estimates, it's early uh, to know, but that maybe fewer than 5% of people really make a business, consumers make a business of requiring p uh, companies that they deal with to uh, not to sell or share their business. Many people just I assume it's just part of the convenience one has on the internet. I don't know what percent it is, but if that grew much higher, wouldn't these businesses have to devise a different business model, namely to start charging us to protect our privacy? Might that happen? Yeah. And I think the number is going to go higher because of browser signals and technologies like global privacy control, which is small in adoption, but I think that is the future where we're not selecting to opt out at each website. We just turn on a flag in our browsers that communicates to the world wherever we visit that we don't want our data shared. And yes, if that were to happen, and if advertising dollars were to dry up, it would be harder and we would see more businesses charging for content. Businesses that already have large customer bases can make money off of loyalty efforts and through first-party data. But the smaller, newer businesses wouldn't really have a chance unless they charged for content, which can be a, a business model, but it leads to a lot fewer players, which generally isn't viewed as a good industry. Well, thank you, Dan, for taking a, giving us a tour of this ecosystem that we're all part of and pointing out the choices individuals have and the efforts businesses are making now with help from companies like your own to Make sure that the advertising that does result from this isn't on the dark side. Any concluding thoughts for our listeners, Dan? Well, I would just say, Joe, that I didn't want to end on a negative note. I do believe we will find ourselves in a positive future where innovation will continue. Regulations will be sound, um, but not overreach. And then consumers will be able to make their own trade-offs between privacy and convenience. It's really a gradient from one to the other for those that want convenience, meaning they want targeted ads, they they want algorithms to help them figure out what items they might be interested in, to others that are more purist on the privacy side and uh, want to be in total control. I think that choice is where we'll end up, but education and making content available like we're talking about right now so people understand their choices is the way we'll get to that positive future. Would be an interesting future for this ever-present ever balance between liberty and order. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. As always, I'll remind us all, protecting your personal data and your privacy begins with you.